This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Hello, I'm Nitin C. Thank you for joining us for today's Out of the Blue podcast. We will discuss endobronchial valves in patients with homogenous emphysema. And this article has been published online already in the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine. I'm joined today by corresponding author for the study, Dr. Ralph Eberhardt, who is professor of medicine in the Department of Pneumology and Critical Care Medicine at the University of Heidelberg in Heidelberg, Germany, and by Dr. Nicholas Hopkinson, a reader in respiratory medicine at the Imperial College in London. So I'd like to start the podcast with a question for Dr. Hopkinson. Before we talk about the current study, I'd like to step back for a moment and talk more broadly about lung volume reduction in COPD, whether by surgery or endobronchial valve and how it might help patients with emphysema, particularly the the groups that have been studied in the past those with heterogeneous emphysema. Could you tell us about that? Sure. Um, So emphysema is one of the pathological processes in in COPD where the uh, elastic tissue in the lung is broken down and the the small uh, elastic alveoli, uh, as they're damaged, coalesce into into, into, into bigger and and, uh, floppier areas of lung. Now the, the problem with this is that um, air gets gets trapped, so that when the patient breathes in, uh, the emphysematous areas of, of lung particularly will fill with air. But when they when they breathe out, that air is trapped, and this process means that um, patients are having to breathe at a higher lung volume, which is uh, unpleasant, it's distressing, and that's associated with uh, worse quality of life and more more symptoms and an increased risk of death. So. Um, one of the uh, approaches has been to try to remove uh, emphysematous lung so that the the remaining lung it has has a lower volume and the patient can breathe more comfortably. Um, and this sort of approach is is likely to be particularly effective where you can um, take away the worst parts of the lung and leave relatively better lung behind. So if um, it, the, the particular problem is that if uh, a, a patient has an area of lung that's very emphysematous and other more healthy parts, when they take a breath in, that emphysematous lung, because it is more compliant, will tend to fill at the expense of healthier lung, which is relatively compressed. So uh, removing that bad part of the lung has, has been uh, a strategy to try to improve lung function, and that's the basis for lung volume reduction surgery and has been the basis so far, I think, for thinking about endobronchial valve placement as a way of trying to, um, to, to, to take out of circulation the worst affected areas of emphysema. Well, thank you for that explanation. Uh, I wanted to follow up a, a little bit about endobronchial valves. We may have some listeners who are not familiar uh, with that. So um, could you tell us how endobronchial valves are deployed and what are the, the risks um, associated with endobronchial valve placement? Sure. Well, uh, I mean, thinking first of all about, about a, a, a surgical approach, and in, in that situation, the, the, the bad part of the lung is, is excised. Um, what we aim to do with endobronchial valves is to, rather than cutting the bad part of the lung out, is just to block it off. So um, endobronchial valves are, are, are placed with a, a delivery catheter that passes through the working channel of a bronchoscope, 
um, into the airways supplying the, the target lobe. Um, and those, once they're in place, will allow uh, air and secretions to leave the target lobe, but no air to enter. And um, that causes uh, atelectasis and, the, um, and, and the, the, the target lobe shrinks. So it has the same physiological effect as, 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 as cutting it out, but without the, the need for surgery. Now, the, um, where it works, of course, is that it's in, the, 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 uh, there is an improvement in um, uh, pulmonary mechanics and, and, and lung function. One of the problems with it uh, is that um, when, when it is effective, that causes some um, uh, remodeling of, of, of the lungs. So the, sh the shape of the lung will, will, will change. Some parts of the lung will expand that were previously com compressed. Um, and that can cause uh, tears, particularly if there are adhesions between the lung and the pleural uh, surface, so that you uh, so, so that uh, pneumothorax can occur. And that's that's a, a, a complication that is that is actually more common the more effective the treatment is, because it's a it's a consequence of the of the reduction in lung volume. Um, so pneumothorax is, the, is probably the the, 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 the major concern. Uh, it usually happens fairly sh soon after the procedure, within the first two to three days. Um, other complications, I think, are um, because it's a foreign body in the airway, patients often experience an exacerbation-like uh, syndrome fairly early on. Um, and, of course, because it's, a, it's a, a thing that's been placed into the airway, sometimes they could be, they could be coughed up and need to be replaced or, 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 or moved. Well, uh, thank you for that uh, de detailed ex explanation, Dr. Hopkins and, uh, Hopkinson. And I'd like to now get into um, a little bit more background before we ask Dr. Eberhardt about the study specifics, um, because I think it's worth discussing the, the evolution of, of the data here. Um, it seems that the initial work on, on endobronchial valves um, showed limited success um, that may have been related to the patients that were picked. And I think um, an important point that comes out throughout this paper is the absence of collateral ventilation. So if you could tell us why collateral ventilation is important in, in picking the patients who are appropriate for endobronchial valve placement. And further, uh, for those who aren't familiar, how is collateral ventilation assessed? Um, so the, the, the purpose of the uh, procedure is to, or the intent of the procedure is to achieve uh, lobar exclusion so that the, the, the uh, target lobe is completely excluded from ventilation. Now, that requires obviously the, the, the airways to be blocked, but it also means that um, there need to be intact interlobar fissures. Because if, um, if air can pass uh, from an adjacent lobe through, uh, through, through uh, lower resistance pathways uh, because, of, uh, because the, the interlobar fissures have been damaged by the anthocyanidin process, then the, the target lobe will remain inflated. So um, initially this wasn't, I think, appreciated so that quite a high proportion of the patients who were in early trials, nothing happened. So the valves were put in. They didn't have any net effect on... Um, on, on the where air was going during ventilation, and um, the, the, the patients didn't really feel any any different. Um, so we had a, 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 the early experience was of a was of a, a procedure that sometimes worked extremely well, but only in a relatively low proportion of, of patients, um, and that was reflected in in the in early case series, but then also in the in the first large randomized controlled trial, the VENT study, um, where. Uh, the, the, the the primary endpoint was 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 positive. There was an improvement in FEV1 and in walking distance o overall. But because this was made up of 
large benefits in a relatively small number of patients who were collateral ventilation negative and very little change in the majority of patients, the, the overall size of those effects were, were, were really too small for this to be a, a sensible therapy. Now, uh, with, with the appreciation that we're trying to, trying to achieve low bar exclusion um, and people who don't have collateral ventilation, two basic approaches to this and, and you know, complementary approaches exist. The first is by analysing CT scans, it's possible to assess whether the interlobar fissure in, in appears intact uh, and, and if there are gaps in it, whether these are, are small, so it's 90% intact, or whether there are large uh, uh, deficiencies in the, in the fissure, which mean that the valves are very unlikely to work. So that's, that's using a, a, an imaging technique. The, uh, the, the other approach to it is to actually measure collateral ventilation uh, directly. So this is done using um, a system called Chartis, which is a, a, a balloon uh, pressure and flow catheter uh, measuring system. So uh, a balloon is in, inflated to occlude the, the target lobe, the airway to the target lobe. Um, and then a sensor records uh, pressure swings as the person breathes and expiratory flow. Now what should happen if there is no collateral ventilation, that the pressure swings continue as the person breathes, but as the target lobe entities of air flow uh, decreases down to down to zero, and that would be someone who was collateral ventilation negative or CV negative. Um, if there is collateral ventilation, then it's very unlikely that the the treatment is going to be effective. So, just to follow up on that, Dr. Hopkinson. So, if you pick patients who have an absence of collateral ventilation, uh, what is the data? in this day and age that supports uh, endobronchial valve deployment in those patients with uh, heterogeneous emphysema? So I think in terms of trials, there's there's the, the post hoc analysis from the VENT study where they, they looked at, at patients who had um, intact uh, interlobar fissures and where the valves were properly placed. Um, and then there are two randomized controlled trials where people were prospectively selected on the basis that they had um, intact fissures and the absence of collateral ventilation. So that's the Believer Hi-Fi study and the Stelvio study. Um, the other, I think, quite powerful data in support is the is the uh, data from, uh, admittedly from case series, which does suggest that there's a survival benefit associated with uh, atelectasis. So um, the early trials, which include people with collateral ventilation, are a, a, a sort of um, uh, 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 case matching study if you like where you you have some people where the valves are put in and it works and you get atelectasis and other patients where the valves are placed in and nothing happens um, and there is a, there's a very marked survival uh, difference between those where atelectasis has occurred and and, and and where it hasn't and that's um, both uh, in the, the case series from um, the, the original London cohort and now a very much larger uh, cohort from Germany which was being presented at the European Respiratory Society uh, earlier this year um, showing showing this benefit, so that suggests that um, in that population and people um, with heterogeneous emphysema where atelectasis occurs, that there there could be the same sort of survival benefit that we know there is in the um, in the uh, group of LVRS patients um, who are who uh, who are who are selected. So people with uh, upper lobe emphysema and poor exercise capacity. So. Although we don't have randomized controlled trial data of that, I think we have quite a powerful signal suggesting that might be the case. So, Dr. Eberhardt, I'm excited to now talk about your current study because you've taken us a step forward from, as uh, Dr. Hopkinson described, first from lung volume reduction surgery 
in upper lobe predominant disease to endobronchial valves in patients with uh, heterogeneous emphysema and absence of, of um, collateral ventilation. Now you are studying uh, patients with homogenous emphysema in the impact study. So could you tell us a little bit about um, that uh, step forward and, and how you um, chose this patient population? Yes. Um, we know from our patients uh, that around 50% of the patients with severe emphysema have a more homogeneous distribution. And uh, although we know that a higher heterogeneity will be a predictor for a better outcome maybe in our patients, we know that patients with homogeneous disease should also benefit from reduction of their hyperinflation to improve their respiratory mechanics, which maybe will be followed by an improvement in lung function, exercise capacity, and quality of life as well. And uh, already in 2009, we could show that an endoscopic valve placement was feasible in patients with uh, homogeneous emphysema. And now we have tested the efficacy and safety of this therapy option for this patient population in a randomized controlled trial. So, yes, so I guess going uh, back to that, um, you've in the past described um, some uh, patient outcome even several years back uh, in patients. Um, with uh, homogenous emphysema, and, and if you would speak to some of the details of your prior work. This was only a feasibility study we, we have done in, in, in 10 patients to show that this is possible, and due to the small number of patients, we couldn't show any uh, significant improvement, but uh, results were in the uh, correct direction. So it could show that we look, uh, we could show in the in the past that we can improve also in uh, patients with homogeneous emphysema quality of life, PFTs, and uh, exercise capacity. Um, and when we when we are looking to the patients, we have seen in our hospital uh, the the most important question: What is the definition of homogeneity uh, in emphysema? This is not defined very well today. And uh, this was the reason why we have um, selected inclusion criteria like a heterogeneity index of less than 50% on both sides. And also we are using perfusion scan uh, to show that we have a very homogeneous uh, distribution in perfusion to make really clear that this is a very homogeneous emphysema. And uh, the key issue for the success of the uh, treatment is that we can reduce hyperinflation, and this will be possible in heterogeneous as well as in homogeneous patients. This is very interesting, uh, Dr. Eberhardt, and I think very important as, as it is, uh, you know, potentially opening up a, a much larger group of patients to this sort of treatment. Uh, so let's talk about, you alluded to the inclusion a, a little bit. Um, in your study, you randomized 93 patients with emphysema and absent collateral ventilation to unilateral lobar occlusion uh, with an endobronchial valve versus standard of care for emphysema. So could you tell us how you assess these patients for inclusion and, and what type of patients were you enrolling in terms of the severity of their COPD? Yes, the patient had to meet all the inclusion criteria for endoscopic valve placement. We are normally using for patient selection in our clinical routine or for patients also with heterogeneous emphysema. Only patients with a reduced lung function with an FE1 less than 45% and a residual volume of more than 200 despite optimal standard of medical care have to be screened. And uh, 
In this study, the mean values for the included patients of FEV1 was less than 30%. This is a little bit lower than in the previous studies. And an RV of 270%, which is higher than in the studies for heterogeneity uh, and uh, patients with heterogeneous emphysema. The patients were able to walk 300 meters in the six-minute walk test, and uh, they had to stop smoking in the past. Uh, these are the inclusion criteria we have for all our patients for endoscopic lung volume reduction. And uh, the only difference to the previous uh, trials is that we look to the CT scans and that we evaluate the distribution and severity of the emphysema. And in the software analysis, we have to confirm the homogeneity as well as the completeness of the fissure, which were uh, assessed by uh, fissure analysis. And uh, these findings were at the end confirmed by perfusion scan and endoscopic measurement of the collateral ventilation. And then the patient could be randomized for treatment with valves or for standard of care. And uh, the most important question is which lobe you want to treat in a patient with a homogeneous emphysema. And we selected the lobe with the highest emphysema score and the lowest perfusion uh, for valve occlusion. Well, thank you for explaining that. It is uh, you know, quite a, a detailed evaluation you have to, to do to, to enroll these patients appropriately. Um, and I'd like first, uh, I'll ask Dr. Um, Eberhardt and then I'll ask Dr. Hopkins as a follow-up. But Dr. Eberhardt, can you uh, summarize what you found in, in your study? Yes, we could show that uh, patients with uh, homogeneous emphysema will benefit from uh, valve placement endoscopic uh, valve placement uh, with a unilateral treatment and a complete occlusion of one lobe. And we could show that we can improve FEV1 and uh, lung function as well as exercise capacity and this will be followed by an improvement also of quality of life. Uh, the results at the end have been a little bit more worse than uh, in our studies with heterogeneous emphysema, maybe because uh, that uh, a, a high heterogeneity in the emphysema uh, will be a predictor for a better outcome or a better success. And Dr. Hopkinson, I'd, I'd like you to comment on the, the study findings as well. Uh, obviously, as Dr. Eberhardt said, this is a, a, a different group than, than in, the, in the prior trial, so it may be harder to, um, to find uh, improvements in airflow limitation and quality of life and exercise tolerance, but it seems that the, the study did meet those measures. So I think the, um, the important message from this is that even though these improvements aren't, as, aren't quite as large perhaps as a seen in heterogeneous patients, they're still um, substantial and, and exceed the minimum clinically important differences for these, uh, for these measures of airflow obstruction, uh, gas trapping and, and exercise capacity and, and health status. So um, th th this is certainly very encouraging data from that point of view. Um, it, it, it's, it's worth bearing in mind that, that, that these, these were people with very severe emphysema and um, with very high uh, levels of gas trapping. So the residual volume is, is uh, uh, I think the mean was 275% predicted. So this is, um, a, a, again, a, a population that needs to be selected carefully. So uh, it would be important not to, um, to draw the conclusion that because this treatment works for heterogeneous emphysema and for homogeneous emphysema that it works for everybody. Uh, it's carefully selected uh, patients with, 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 with either pattern. 
thank you for explaining that and I think that's a that's a fair point and obviously you have to be very cautious when interpreting um, you know clinical trial data and in, in all our standard practice so dr. Everhart um, I wanted to talk about uh, some of the adverse events noted uh, from from uh, in, in the current study uh, the patients obviously as you discussed showed improved lung function and exercise tolerance um, those who received uh, valves but approximately one quarter of them developed uh, who, who received valves developed pneumothorax. So I'd like to ask you a, a little more detail about those patients. How long after valve placement did the pneumothorax occur? Um, and then how did those patients do clinically? How were they managed for their pneumothorax? And, and how did they do it at th three months uh, when you did your, um, your analysis? Nowadays, we know that uh, improved patient selection looking for patients with very low collateral ventilation or collateral flow is often followed by an increased rate of pneumothorax. Um, the pneumothorax is caused by a huge volume shift after developing an atelectasis and uh, necessary expansion of the untreated ipsilateral lobe. And uh, normally the pleura of the ipsilateral lobe um, is affected and uh, the cause for the pneumothorax. Um, however, the rate in the study was not higher than in our clinical routine in Heidelberg and uh, for the, um, the time of pneumothorax, um, we know that the majority of the patients who develop pneumothorax, uh, this will usually occur on the day of the procedure or the day after the procedure and uh, delayed pneumothorax can be reserved only in less than 20%. Unfortunately, in a lot of cases, a chest tube is ne needed and this will prolong the hospital stay for the patients. Uh, but at the end, after recovering, these patients will also have a benefit from the valve procedure if no valve removal was uh, uh, needed uh, to close uh, a fistula, maybe. So the risk of pneumothorax is around 20-25% and uh, we have to accept this risk for a better outcome. If we are doing incomplete treatment, we will have no target lobe volume reduction and no benefit for the patients. Uh, at this time, we are looking for predictors and uh, strategies to uh, decrease the rate of pneumothorax, but 20% um, uh, is at this time normal. Yeah, I did want to follow up on that. I guess the, the question uh, for me is, it's a very small sample size, obviously, from the current study of those who developed, who received a valid and developed pneumothorax. But were there any predictors you could see in, in patients who might be more susceptible to developing pneumothorax? So if, not in the, directly in the study, but we have a, a large cohort, a Heidelberg cohort with more than 400 patients we are following up uh, over the last uh, five years. and. Uh, um, we could uh, show that there are some predictors in the CT scan as well as in the uh, uh, baseline assessments. And um, when we are looking to the Heidelberg cohort, then um, a very high volume of the target lobe and a very high uh, emphysema destruction of the untreated ipsilateral lobe, this will increase the risk for pneumothorax. Whereas uh, pleural adhesions, for example, can protect, uh, protect the patient from this complication. So I think in the future we have to calculate the risk for pneumothorax um, based on CT findings as well as uh, PFTs um, at baseline time. So Dr. Hopkinson, uh, I wanted to sort of take a, a, a state of 
where we are uh, to close our podcast. Uh, and the, the impact study, I think, clearly adds to our current l- literature regarding uh, the potential value of endobronchial valves. And now it's extending it to um, patients with uh, homogenous emphysema. Uh, so, you know, I, I recognize that, um, I, as I understand it, we, are, we don't, in the United States, deploy as many uh, valves as are done in Europe. But I'd, I'd ask you to sort of now, looking at this data, tell us which patients with emphysema you would refer for endobronchial valve treatment in 2017? Um, well, I, I think to, to answer that question, you have to think about all, all of the options that are available. So we the starting point is that we have a, a therapy already, which is uh, which has a, a you know, grade A evidence base, which is lung volume reduction surgery for heterogeneous emphysema um, and, and low exercise capacity. So one of the important bits of context for this is that the um, very, very few of those procedures are being carried out, and that is a real disservice, I think, to, to COPD patients. Um, there's, a, there's a survival benefit that's been seen already um, in, in the NET trial, and of course in, in, in modern surgical practice, or improvements in surgical practice mean that the risks now are, are much lower than they were at that time. So um, for people with heterogeneous emphysema, and intact interlobar fissures on, on, on CT scan, I think the, the options are um, either uh, surgery or, or, or valves. And I think you know, genuinely there is equipoise as to which is the better in the longer term. Um, and you know, tr- trials need to be done to actually compare these two modalities com- directly in, in, in patients who are suitable for both. So heterogeneous emphysema and uh, uh, absent collateral ventilation. Um, I think the f- one finding from the, the impact study, which is which is important, is it, it sort of cements the the view that targeting the worst lobe is, uh, is with with valves certainly is going to be beneficial. So um, there's uh, concern that performing surgery in lower lobe patients, uh, unless they have a, a very very much worse lower lobe than upper lobe, is is associated with less good outcomes. Whereas the the the, the benefits with valves do seem to be based on um, on, on, on targeting the worst lobe. Um, having said that, I think the, the impact study is really encouraging that um, we're, we're getting to a position where in very hyperinflated patients, um, endobronchial valves are likely to be beneficial even in, in, in patients that we wouldn't previously have considered suitable because they weren't heterogeneous enough. So I think this is, this is a, you know, potentially a major step forward now. I, mean, I, I look forward to seeing the, the longer term outcomes from the study, which are, uh, uh, we'll, we'll be getting in due course. And Dr. Eberhardt, I'd asked you the same question. Um, based on your study and, and the, the body of literature, and I appreciate Dr. Hopkinson providing some context uh, for us there, uh, what is your opinion regarding uh, patients to refer for valve uh, uh, placement going forward? I think the uh, most important fact is that if you have patients with severe emphysema and severe COPD and you have uh, treated them with optical, uh, optimal medical therapy, pulmonary rehab and everything and they are still symptomatic, then you have to think about additional treatment options. And then you have to screen and to evaluate your patients in a standardized fashion and uh, you have to uh, define the emphysema distribution, you have to look to the hyperinflation and afterwards 
after CT analysis, perfusion scan, pulmonary function, uh, checking comorbidities, you can look for additional treatments. This can be lung volume reduction surgery, this can be valves, this can be other endoscopic treatments maybe. Um, after this study, after the impact study, now we know that endobronchial valve placement is a promising therapy, not only for patients with heterogeneous emphysema, but also for patients with homogeneous emphysema where you have no other treatment option. And therefore, patients with uh, severe emphysema and low pulmonary function in exercise capacity should be screened if uh, valve placement is possible. And you have to have in mind that uh, given to the limited treatment options available for this particular um, patient population, um, valve therapy should be considered in these patients as one possibility. Well, thank you both for such a great discussion. I'd ask you if there are any other final thoughts. Uh, first, I'd ask you, Dr. Hopkinson. Um, I think this is, this is a very um, exciting time for for emphysema management. Uh, I mean, this is a, a condition, a group of patients who um, have been considered to have a sort of end-stage untreatable disease. Um, and I think that we, we are in a position now to offer uh, you know, selected patients from with, with severe emphysema treatments that can actually um, turn the clock back on their, their disease by several years, uh, improve uh, quality of life, exercise capacity, and almost certainly uh, provide a survival uh, advantage as well. So um, I think it's uh, it's going to be important in the coming years for, um, for clinicians who are looking after patients with COPD to develop a develop treatment pathways that allow patients to be systematically evaluated to see whether they are um, likely to be eligible for a treatment of this kind. And um, certainly one uh, approach I think is likely to be uh, sensible is to consider this as part of the um, exit strategy when people complete pulmonary rehabilitation. So if a patient has been through pulmonary rehabilitation, their medication is optimized, um, that in terms of conventional therapy is, is, is likely to be the, the best they're ever going to get. So if at that point they still have a um, a, an MRC distance score of, of four or five, then a decision somebody needs to review th that and, and review them and consider whether um, they might be eligible for a lung volume reduction procedure. And Dr. Eberhard, any final thoughts? Um, I just want to mention that endoscopic lung volume reduction is uh, normally technically easy. The most important thing is that uh, you have to do a proper patient selection. You have to find the patients who will benefit from valve placement or other techniques, and then you have very good treatment options uh, for these end-stage patients, which have an optical medical therapy but still symptoms. So focus on the baseline assessment and the quality of your CT scans and your baseline uh, screening, and then you can select uh, the best treatment uh, possibilities for these patients. Well, thank you both for a, a wonderful discussion. Uh, I think we're all excited to look at what the, the, the longer-term outcomes uh, from the study, but certainly it opens up a potential new treatment pathway uh, for patients with uh, homogeneous uh, emphysema and absence of collateral ventilation. Um, we will have the articles, uh, both Dr. Everhart's article, The Impact Study, on the ATS Journal website linked to this podcast on the podcast homepage, as well as Dr. Hopkinson's accompanying editorial. 
And thank you for listening to this um, episode of the Out of the Blue podcast. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Thank you.